Welcome to Church Chats with Church Chats with Gospel Gal. Today I'm chatting with Matt Rosenblum, host of the Back to the Reformation podcast about his gospel awakening. So listen to episode three. What's a nice Jewish boy like you doing in a Baptist Facebook group? Tell me about your spiritual formation. What kind of things did your parents teach you? Talk about how you came to know and understand the gospel. So I grew up in a Reformed synagogue. And in Reformed Judaism, anything goes plural. It's a pluralistic belief system. So basically, you have Jewish identity and you're a Jew culturally, but that doesn't necessitate that you are a Jew by belief. Most Jews, in fact, do not hold to the inspiration of Scripture. Most Jews do not believe in God. Um, You can be a clergy in Reformed Judaism and be an atheist, or you can be a Buddhist. So you can just go down the salad bar, right, and choose whatever fits you. My mom was the temple president of our local synagogue, and we were involved with doing things with the synagogue, with our family, because my mom was involved. But it was more like a social club than anything else. It wasn't, there wasn't any kind of religious commitment or community to it necessarily. We were secular. Everybody claimed to believe in God. My parents claimed to believe in God. But my dad was kind of, I think, more like a pantheist in the way he would describe things about who God is. I kind of just went along with whatever. I was bar mitzvah at the age of 13. So I studied Hebrew in Hebrew school. I went to Sunday school, the whole nine yards. But again, it was more cultural Judaism than anything else. As time went on, I became older, graduated from high school, did a couple of years of college. I was very involved in my music, which I still am, but I was so involved at the time. That's what I wanted to do for a living. That's all I wanted to do, period. It was the most important thing to me in my life. 1992, I was in a very serious relationship with a girl and pretty devastating. There was a pregnancy involved and actually there was an abortion. And that kind of triggered some emotions in me. And I had been actually friends with my buddy who was in the band with me. His name is Ray. Ray was a backslidden Christian, and he was actually returning to church during this time. And Ray would share the gospel with me. And I didn't want to hear it. In fact, I had someone who was a Christian share the gospel with me in high school, but I didn't want to hear it. Ray kept on just, you know, being patient with me. And uh, one night I asked him if I could go to church with him. It was a Wednesday night. It was Calvary Chapel in California. So I went. My parents knew I was going. I don't think they were thrilled about it. I heard the gospel that night. The lights went on and I knew it was the truth. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live, and he merited salvation for us. So Jesus became a substitute in our behalf, and there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus, First Timothy says. And that's great news, and it's great news that I discovered in 1992. That's where I am, and that's why I'm here today. In order to understand the gospel, you have to understand something about yourself. What was it that you about yourself? I knew there was a problem with myself. There was things that I was guilty for. And I, I just think that I was looking for hope. And there was no hope around me because human beings disappoint one another. 
but I knew that I needed redemption myself. I knew that I was guilty for a reason, and I knew that everybody else was guilty. When I heard that, everything clicked, and I knew that that was the answer. Obviously, becoming a Christian and believing the gospel is not a cultural thing. You and I both were born into Jewish households because my family's Jewish on my dad's side of the family. I want them to kind of get a perspective from someone who is Jewish, was raised Jewish, or at least in a nominally Jewish household. Because I grew up with my mother. I was born into a Jewish household, but my mother was a Gentile. And she was converted to Christianity. I grew up with her. So I just want to kind of hear, was your reception of the gospel influenced in any way by your Judaism? My Jewish upbringing actually had nothing to do with my conversion to Christianity. Again, Judaism is very pluralistic in nature. Growing up, I could believe whatever I wanted to believe. And I believed in God in some general form, some kind of general theism growing up. Yeah, it didn't have any effect. Growing up in a synagogue, if Christians were to evangelize you, a Jewish person thinks, well, I'm part of the chosen race anyway, so why do I need to be evangelized? That's kind of the mentality. And it was the mentality from my parents as well. In the last episode... I was talking about my spiritual formation too, and I didn't go into this too much, but I did mention related to the topic I was talking about that I did not see my dad for three years during my adolescence. I didn't say what that was about, but what happened was I had been in an independent fundamentalist Baptist school. And they were teaching us that if your unsaved family members die and you have not witnessed to them, yeah. If they end up in hell, it would be your fault. You had not evangelized them. So my 15-year-old little brain, I was literally having nightmares about my dad. Horrible. So I preached the gospel to him the best way that I knew how at that point, but it alienated him. Yeah, what a burden. But, you know, I just want my Jewish family members who are maybe hearing this to know and understand that when Christians talk to them about the things of the Lord, it's not animosity, it's not anti-Semitism. No. I want them to have the hope that was presented to Abraham so many years ago. Yeah. That through his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Women down through history were looking at their son, wondering if he was going to be the Messiah who would deliver them. And he's come. He's come. He came in the flesh 2,000 years ago to live righteously in our place, as Matthew already said, and then to take the punishment for our sins, to be put in a grave, and then to be risen again to show that God accepted his sacrifice. Yeah. He ever lives to make intercession for us. We don't tell you this out of animosity, out of anti-Semitism, out of self-righteousness. We want you to know the peace of God that he has given us in knowing Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Exactly. Amen. Amen to that, Marissa. And, you know, the only reason why I believe in Christianity is because it's true. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only son of God and that he rose from the dead. And if it's not true, then I shouldn't be a Christian. Truth is exclusive by nature. You can't change it. 
like the law of gravity. It's true. And that's the way I look at Christianity. It doesn't matter if I grew up in a Jewish household. Christianity happens to be true. I grew up in a very hostile cultural environment. There was a lot of rampant anti-Semitism. But it wasn't that that drove me away from my Judaism. In fact, they still feel strongly about my cultural identity as a Jew and as my ethnicity. And I will defend that. And I'm proud of that. But my belief system has nothing to do with my background and being persecuted for my ethnicity. So it's not like I'm a self-hating Jew. I just want everybody to know that. And look at the prophecies in the Old Testament. Look at all the Messianic prophecies in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 7:14. that says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And that means God with us. Now, who's that talking about? And remember, the book of Isaiah was written five to 700 years before Christ was even born. I would just challenge any person who grew up in a Jewish background to look at those passages and really ask the question, who is this talking about? Can the nation of Israel atone for people's sin? Read the Bible for yourself, but search the scriptures to see if they are really true or not. Jesus Christ said that himself when he was speaking to the Jewish leaders in his day. He said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Reach out to me, reach out to Matt, we'd be glad and happy and thrilled to provide you with scripture that shows so powerfully this Jesus is the same person who was prophesied to be your Savior and your Messiah in the Old Testament. Yes. So for the first five years of my Christian life in Calvary Chapel, a very evangelistic movement, praise God for that, they go verse by verse, they get people into the Word of God, and they speak up against false teaching, for instance, the health, wealth, prosperity movement, and they speak up against the cults. In fact, early on in my Christianity, I was trained how to deal with the cults, which I thought was very helpful because you learn orthodoxy from that. You learn the truth, and it helps you to get in the scriptures. It got me interested in apologetics, actually. Do you have anything that you would consider a gospel awakening that happened in your life? Like yeah. Something where you had been learning and learning, and all of a sudden, you just saw Jesus Christ more clearly, and it was like you were awakened. Sure. My true gospel awakening happened about two and a half years ago. While at Calvary Chapel, I started reading other books for myself, and these people were known as Calvinists. I struggled with it for a little bit, to be honest with you, because philosophically, I just thought that it wasn't compatible with human free will. Studying it really made me convicted in my heart about sin like I had never been before. And actually viewing God in a different way, that he was sovereign over all things and that he was the one in control. And it was actually letting God be God. So that was kind of one awakening. My real gospel awakening happened three years ago, and that was actually through you, Marissa. I have been a Calvinist for many years, and I have been part of New Covenant theology or progressive covenantalism. The thing about New Covenant theology is there's a lot of things that are similar to Reformed thought, but they reject the covenant of works, the covenant of grace, and the covenant of redemption. They do hold to the church being the new Israel of God, usually all millennial in their eschatology. I believe that the church and Israel were one and the same, but there were certain things that I couldn't make sense of. 
I think there was more discontinuity still in my theological leanings than there was continuity and understanding how the Old Testament related to the New. Because I was a Baptist. I started reading and I often wrestled with the thought of the covenant of grace. If someone could convince me that there was one covenant of grace with many administrations, that I would become a Pado Baptist because I thought that that was the linchpin. So I held on to that position until I started listening to a podcast called Theocast. And Theocast is Reformed Baptist, 1689 Federalists. And I started hearing about covenant theology, law gospel distinction. What's the difference between the law and the gospel? The law requires perfection. You are depraved and you were born with a sinful nature and you need redemption. That's actually bad news. You are a lawbreaker, but there's a remedy to that, and that's the good news. And that good news is completely distinct from the bad news, and the bad news is that you're a lawbreaker. So when you evangelize someone, yes, you do need to tell them about the law, but then you need to give them a clear distinction of what the gospel is, that good news. And the gospel is what has been done for us. And the law is something that we do. Any command, any imperative in scripture that we are given is law. The gospel is always what has been done for us, namely what Christ has done on the cross for us. A perfect example where there's a misunderstanding is when Christ calls us to follow him. The rich man had thought that, well, he had done everything. And he thought that he had obeyed the law perfectly because of his background, right? He was a Jewish person. But Jesus gave him the full brunt of the law, and he says, no, you sell everything and follow me. And now, and to a lot of people, that's gospel, but that's not gospel. That's bad news. Jesus was showing him that he couldn't do it, and that he wasn't pulling it off. And so I was under teaching that, that basically that was the gospel, and following Jesus is the gospel. Following Jesus is not the gospel. The gospel, again, is what Jesus has done for us. What happened is when I started listening to Theocast, I started experiencing some confusion because, like, wait a second, this isn't jiving with what I've been taught. But there was something that was interesting. I was at Grace Community, John MacArthur's church, and John MacArthur can give an exquisite presentation in regard to the doctrine of justification. He took it by itself. You will get no better presentation, a forensic view of justification as presented. He's that good on certain things like that. You will learn doctrine like that. What I started to experience, though, is that they really don't believe it in practice. And my wife started asking me questions when we were there. She's like, does this guy believe that you can lose your salvation? That kind of provoked me to start even searching deeper because... My wife's comment really sent me on a deep journey. I was telling her about this. There is that inconsistency there. Churches like that teach perseverance. They teach perseverance, but there's no real doctrine of assurance. That's right. I believe that the true doctrine of assurance will naturally come forth from a sound teaching of preservation of the saints. Remember, it's not ourselves that persevere reason why we persevere is because Christ preserved us. He's going to carry us over that finish line over his shoulders. In fact, really, we all are carried over that way because 
we can't do it ourselves. That's the point. And in churches that teach what MacArthur's teaching, trying to sanctify your flock by warning passages is not going to do it. It's not going to motivate you towards holiness. It's going to cause despair or arrogance. And this stems from a teaching that I grew up in Reformed circles by many Reformed teachers who were Presbyterians as well. And this is called Lordship Salvation. And the reason why I was confused when it came to this issue about surrendering to the Lord of every area of your life, following him, and you know, you're the rich young ruler, you have to be that man, because if you're not that man and you don't give up everything, then you haven't surrendered. You're an unregenerate person. That's really what it comes down to at that point. And it causes navel gazing to the nth degree and despair, no assurance whatsoever. So I started seeing things come into focus more clearly. But there was a magical moment. It was like being born again for the second time. And you, Marissa, had told me to listen to an interview on Theology Gals. That particular episode was with an individual by the name of John Fonville, and he was being interviewed in regard to Lordship Salvation. Quite a long interview. It's about two hours. But I would encourage everybody to listen to that interview, no matter what. But then that episode, he went through his own journey of being delivered from Lordship Salvation, espoused by Calvinistic dispensational teaching, and what it means to distinguish between law and gospel. Boom, the lights went on. And that was it. I had my gospel awakening. And everything really just started to fall into place from there. Understanding what the Bible is really about. It's not about us. It really isn't. It's about Christ from start to finish. When you start listening to people like John Fonville, you're going to get the gospel every time. And the reason why is because the gospel is throughout the scriptures from beginning to end. We need to hear the gospel every time. We need to be driven outside of ourselves. And we need to look outside of ourselves because there's only despair without the gospel being preached. Everything else turns into law. And what I discovered with Lordship Salvation is they turned the gospel into a new law. And it's called neonomianism. I have become fully reformed from studying more and more, um, and I constantly fed and still do on the teachings of Dr. John Fonville. I, I had a renewed love for Michael Horton. I had books of his, but I'm like, wow. Um, the guy is like the John Calvin of our day. And then I started you know, going back and listening to Scott Clark. I had known who all these people were, but you know, I became a pedo-baptist. I never thought I would. And you know what? When you start coming to new positions, you don't want to offend other people. And sometimes you've been in the camp for so long that you're afraid to really think for yourself. And I would encourage you, everybody, to really try to put away your presuppositions that you've been reared in in your church. And really just try to submit yourself to the, to the clear teachings of Scripture. That's what I did. And that's where I am today. Yeah, one of the things that I tell people when they're trying to sort out what they believe about baptism is you already know what you currently believe. So rather than listening to debates like with James White, people who debate this subject, just listen to the people who understand and believe the position that you're trying to understand. 
if you really want to know, go straight to the source. Right. I think that's a great point. And I would actually say stay away from debates like that as well, because there's not enough time to flesh things out. Listen to series. Listen to a baptism series by John Fonville. Go listen to his series on baptism. Go listen to Scott Clark on baptism. Listen to his series on baptism. Listen to Scott Clark teach on baptism. He has a whole podcast. Read J.V. Fesco on baptism, Water, Word, and Spirit by J.V. Fesco. Read Horton on baptism. If you really want to understand infant or household baptism, you have to understand covenant theology. That's right. Bingo. Exactly. The YouTube book for covenant theology is Brown and Keel, Sacred Bond. So that is... um, really what it comes down to, right? The nature of the covenants, the nature of the Abrahamic covenant versus the Mosaic covenant. That's where the rubber meets the road. And that's how I came to this doctrine. Like I said, read Horton on baptism in his systematic theology. Um, Listen to the white horse in and listen to the gospel gal. Listen to the theology gals. Listen to Theocast. That's where I started. Listen to those guys. They're excellent. And also, I have a podcast now called Back to the Reformation with my co-host, Onyx Sadian. And you can listen to our episodes as well, where we interview scholars. And look, just be open-minded and try to put aside everything that you've been taught and really just say, could this be true? Could my position be wrong? We always have to do that. And we always have to be reforming, right? We want to submit to Scripture. Semper reformanda, baby. Yes. Amen. How does it comfort you to have a fuller understanding of the law and the gospel and reformed theology? It gave me assurance, number one, we're not running on this treadmill. So no matter if we have a good day or we have a bad day, our standing with God has not changed. We're still justified. I just have to realize that I am simultaneously sinner and saint, or some people say simul ustus picator. You can choose which one. because we are simultaneously centered and justified and we will be that way until we're glorified and there's a comfort that i'm not perfect and that there's a perfect one who did it in my stead and it hits home a different way now and that's the motivator for me to obey him it's out of gratitude but it's not out of a fearful thing that i might fall out with my standing before him We will all struggle with assurance, and that's why we constantly need to hear the gospel. That's why the sacraments are so important. That's why another another element of Reformed theology now, that those are gospel signs. They're a means of grace, and they mean so much more to me. Those are a couple of points about the practical application of Reformed theology in my own life. There's more to it, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's as practical as it can be. Let me tell you something. If you want something practical, learn covenant theology. Well, thanks be to God. I'm thankful to hear your journey, Matthew. Thank you for having me, Marissa. And thank you for joining the chat. Listen next time for more Church Chat, where regular Christians discuss matters concerning the church. With me, Marissa Namir, Gospel Gal. Until then, gospel blessings.